Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 26 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and today's topic is self-regulation. In last week's episode, we looked at the positive consequences of pain, and I mentioned that the best way to deal with someone who is anxiously attacking you is to not argue and not agree. That's easier said than done. It takes intentionality, self-awareness, and the ability to self-regulate in the moment. Self-regulation is keeping your anxiety in check so that it doesn't make a bad situation worse. It's important to remember that being self-differentiated doesn't mean you won't feel anxious inside. You will. But you can still be a non-anxious presence if you can self-regulate. To better understand how to do this, it's helpful to understand the family system's concept of reactivity. Reactivity is defined as the tendency of the organism to respond to perceived threat or the anxiety of others. It is more pronounced at lower levels of self-differentiation. Now, there are several components going on here, so let's work backwards. First is the anxiety of others. This is the easiest to understand, especially when the anxiety is directed toward us as anger and or blaming. It's hard to regulate our own anxiety in these situations. Second is a perceived threat. While the anxiety of others is external, perceived threat is entirely internal. The perceived threat may or may not be real. If what we perceive raises anxiety in us, it is possibly connecting to an unresolved issue in our own family of origin. Why? Because not all threats raise our anxiety. The level to which this will occur is entirely in us. For example, let's say your boss comes to you and says, you need to get this project finished on time or there's going to be big trouble. An objective observer might ask, what kind of trouble? If you are self-differentiated, you might ask the same question. But let's say that your boss's tone of voice reminds you of your mother with whom you have been in constant conflict. You feel the anxiety rising in you because you are feeling threatened. Your boss didn't actually threaten you. Perhaps she is worried about her own job and is commiserating with you. The point is, perceived threat is in the eye of the beholder. The third part of this definition is the response. One response is to unleash our anxiety. This is what most people think of when they think of reactivity. It's the fight part of the fight or flight mechanism. Sometimes this is literally fighting back. Other times it's getting defensive. In either case, if this is your response, you are not self-regulating. You are allowing your own anxiety to make a difficult situation worse. Another form of reactivity is giving in. The family systems term is adaptivity, but it's considered a form of reactivity. That's confusing because it looks like the opposite of reactivity. The thing to remember is that in giving in, it is still a response. When you give in, you are adapting to the anxiety or perceived threat of the other by stuffing your own feelings, by not taking a non-anxious emotional stand. 
Bill Selby, founder of the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness in the Rockies, has coined the term adaptive reactivity to describe this form of response, or lack thereof. This highlights the giving-in nature, while noting that this is still a response. Whether a response is adaptive or reactive, it's still not a healthy way to function. One way does not allow your feelings to be expressed in a healthy way. The other allows your own anxiety to come out in unhealthy ways. Let's recap. Reactivity is defined as the tendency of the organism to respond to perceived threat or the anxiety of others. It is more pronounced at lower levels of self-differentiation. There is either anxiety or perceived threat from the other. We either adapt or react instead of taking a non-anxious emotional stand. The kicker is that reactivity will increase at lower levels of self-differentiation. Remember that self-differentiation isn't static. Rather than say you are self-differentiated, it's more accurate to say you are functioning in self-differentiated ways. When you are functioning at lower levels of self-differentiation, you are more likely to react or adapt to the anxiety or perceived threats from others. I recently got in a fight with my wife. It doesn't happen very often, but the pattern is familiar. She'll make a remark that strikes me in the wrong way. Instead of being intentional and thinking about my response, I'll just react. In this case, I got defensive. This starts a pattern of her saying something to which I respond with greater anger. This can go on for several hours until one of us erupts. We have it out, then we come to our senses. The interesting thing about the recent fight was how we unpacked it that evening. She admitted that she had been in a bad mood, but then she said, You're the self-differentiation guy. You're supposed to recognize that and not react the truth hurts. The point about reactivity is that sometimes we're better able to self-regulate than others. Self-differentiation is fluid and can be influenced by the amount of stress you are facing, as well as whether you are sleep-deprived or hungry. So by definition, self-regulation is keeping your reactivity in check. Before we get to how to do this, I want to unpack the nature of chronic conditions. In family systems theory, a chronic condition is a pattern of reactivity that occurs repeatedly. It can either be ongoing or recurring. But like my fight with my wife, there is a pattern to it. If you have an ongoing interaction with a family member that is filled with anxiety, then it is likely a chronic condition. The key point to understand is that a chronic condition is sustained by feedback, and that feedback is reactivity. Without a reactive or adaptive response, a chronic condition will disappear. An illustration will help. Marshall Goldsmith is a world-renowned business educator and coach. In his book, Triggers, Goldsmith shares about Amy, a 51-year-old senior executive at a media company. Quote, Amy described a close mother-daughter relationship, perhaps too close. Her mother was in her late 70s and they spoke daily, but the conversation was governed by sniping and petty arguments. Parent and child were engaged in a zero-sum game of proving herself right and the other wrong. Love by a thousand cuts, Amy called it. One day, triggered by her mother's mortality and the realization that neither of them was getting younger, Amy decided on a truth. She didn't tell her mother about it, she simply refused to engage in the verbal skirmishing. When her mother made a judgmental remark, Amy let it hang in the air like a noxious cloud, waiting for it to vaporize from neglect. With her daughter unwilling to counterpunch, mom soon stopped punching, and vice versa. 
End quote. This was a chronic condition. The pattern of interaction was mother making a comment and daughter reacting. It was only when daughter decided to regulate her reactivity that the pattern changed. I love Goldsmith's metaphor of the noxious cloud. Anxiety is like that, but without reactivity, it will dissipate. It's important to note that a chronic condition can also be sustained by an adaptive response. Using Amy as an example, let's say she never argued with her mother, but just took it. If she never reacted anxiously, let alone never took a non-anxious emotional stand, then she was responding adaptively. It's likely that Amy would then triangle someone else, taking out her frustration and pain elsewhere because she is unable to stand up in a healthy way to her mother. Either way, it is the reactive or adaptive response that sustains the chronic pattern of anxious interaction. So now that you understand reactivity and the nature of chronic conditions, it's time to look at how to self-regulate. The best way to do this is to listen. Responding to the anxiety or perceived threat of others without reactivity is a challenge. The very nature of the interaction increases your own anxiety. But there is a simple way to self-regulate, and that is by listening. By definition, listening is maintaining a non-anxious presence. One, you are remaining non-anxious because of instead of fighting, getting defensive, or caving in, you are asking questions. Two, because you are exploring the other's feelings, you are emotionally present. In the last podcast episode, I mentioned the best way to handle an anxious attack by another is to not argue and not agree. Listening does this. You can follow three steps to self-regulate. First, take a deep breath. Deep breathing is a proven way to physically reduce your anxiety. It also allows you to take your time. When things get anxious, the anxiety of the situation increases our need to respond immediately, so we either blurt out our argument or we immediately agree. If you can convince yourself that it's okay to be thoughtful, then you can take your time to respond. You can even say something like, I need a minute to think about this. This also gives you time to increase self-awareness and intentionality. This will increase your ability to self-regulate. Next, ask an open-ended question. These are questions that begin with who, what, where, when, and how. Avoid questions that begin with why because people don't always know why they feel the way they do, so this might increase their frustration. Here are some examples. What makes you feel that way? When does this happen? How does that make you feel? The list of questions you can ask is endless but continue to ask open-ended questions, and over the course of the conversation, the anxiety will dissipate. I would suggest practicing open-ended questions in non-anxiety-producing situations. Do this during meetings at work or church. Do this in routine conversations with family members. The more you practice, the easier it will be to do when you are feeling most anxious. Finally, at appropriate times, reflect back what you sense the other is feeling. Say things like, you're feeling angry. I sense you are frustrated. You feel hurt. Even if you misjudge the feeling of the other, the other will usually appreciate that you're trying to understand. Regardless, continue with open-ended questions and reflecting feeling for as long as you can. I found in most cases the anxiety will dissipate pretty quickly. Without reactivity, the noxious cloud dissipates. 
It's not uncommon for this to be the end of it. The other will say, I just needed to vent, will thank me and move on. In cases where the other is demanding a response, your best option is to buy time. Say, I'd like to think and pray about this. Let me do that, then I'll get back to you. You will have to get back, but this will give you more time to process the interaction as well as increase self-awareness and intentionality. In next week's episode, I'll cover how to take a non-anxious emotional stand. In the meantime, remember, don't argue, don't agree, just listen. That's it for this week's episode. I will put a link in the show notes to Marshall Goldsmith's book and also to uh, a family systems theory glossary of terms if you want to look up uh, some of the terms I mentioned today. You can find the show notes at thenonanxiousleader.com forward slash 26. You can also subscribe to my blog and in that case you'll get my email address and you can correspond with me directly. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself. <laughs>